Looking to add value to your business? Lennox Live 2024 is perfect for you. Attend HVAC workshops, share ideas, network with Lennox leaders and other dealers, and much more. Visit LennoxLive.com for details. This episode is sponsored by Lennox Careers. Explore opportunities at LennoxCareers.com. Hi, I'm Barbara Kennedy, and I'm a human resources business partner for the Lennox Residential Team. Hi, I'm Baxter Crutch, the Vice President of Human Resources for Lennox Residential. Hi, I'm Cody Franklin, Vice President of Human Resources for Home Comfort Solutions. And we're on air. This is On Air, a Lennox Learning Solutions podcast hosted by Joe Jones and Dave Chapman. You don't build a business, you build people, then people build the business. Dave, that's a quote by Zig Ziglar, and I thought, what an appropriate quote for this episode, because we're talking about people, and you and I both know the industry pretty well, and I had an opportunity to meet uh, a woman who owned an HVAC company, but prior to owning the Linux dealership, she actually owned a manufacturing company that manufactured plasticware, plastic goods. And when she talked to me about her, her former company, she talked about how important it was that she had the best ingredients, that she had the best uh, components and the best dyes to, to mold the product, the best engineering behind it. And her product was what she was delivering to consumers, which was the plasticware. Um, and then she made this comparison. She said, but now, you know, while I buy Linux and that's a product that we sell, really what I sell at my HVAC company is my people my service. I need to have the best people and I have to find the best people. I have to give them the best training and I have to retain the best people and I have to do this better than my competition. So Dave, we all know that when it comes to human resource, this is such an important part of any business, but I would argue in the home service business, it's especially important. Yeah. You're, you're spot on there, Joe. You know, when you think about the greatest eating cooling con- contractors out there, you're not talked about in bad ways on the radio or on TV because they're doing the right things. They're ethical. They're pointing things out. They're well coached. They have great references in areas of like a dark or training and making sure people are doing the right things. And, but if you look at the broad spectrum of our industry, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks starting out or starting companies that just aren't thinking through that yet because they're early on in their career of owning the business. And maybe when they're in the field, they experience it a little differently because their, their company was telling them and working with them a certain way. But man, I, I tell you what, Joe, this is, this is a huge topic and you can't get enough coaching in this area. And I will tell you, this is an area where I think we really need, we really need some expertise. We need some experts in it. So, so Dave, I'm excited for, I think this is the first time we've done this. We, we actually have three guests that are, that are in each in their own right, incredible guides that could help us. They're experts in human resource. Um, and we will call it our HR, uh, our HR expert panel <laughs> to walk us through this. Let's, let's, let's call it whatever we can, because the fact is, Joe, they, they can, they can fire us after this episode. All right, let's stick with expert then. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's like, make it right. Let's make it right. <laughs> All right. So, so let's introduce, um, let's introduce our, uh, the three on our panel. Uh, we can start with Barbara. So Barbara Kennedy, welcome to On Air. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So Barbara, I understand you have um, a rich uh, background in human resource, over eight years of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you, some, a lot of that has been with Linux in a couple of different capacities. Yeah. Um, and you've you've worked in, in manufacturing yeah. and in business. So Yeah, I spent a lot of time at um, our Linux factory, actually, our commercial factory out in Stuttgart. Um, a lot of time with our folks out in the field. And I just think it's a really great industry and happy to be here and provide some insight. Awesome. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for being here. I think uh, you're going to pro- provide a lot of great insights yeah. in this conversation for sure. Then we've got Baxter, who's been with us on the show before. He's Second. a two-time Baxter crush. Repeat. repeat. <laughs> Welcome back. I love it, man. Yeah, I, I, I was excited to come back. I think it might be just because my office is like maybe 10 feet away from the studio. <laughs> so we're like, here. we got to find somebody. They look around the corner and they see my face. And so that's why I'm here again. But no, last time was a blast. Loved uh, the experience and, and connect with you guys. Obviously passionate about these topics, anything people related. So 
looking forward to uh, joining you guys again today. Yeah, and, and, and Baxter has served, uh, has, been, has been five years now as the VP of residential. Yep, it's, um, I can't believe it's been almost five years since I've been in this role. Yeah, and some other things great about Baxter too. So not only does he have a rich background in human resource, but you've also owned and managed a small business of your own. Yeah, I found too. So I've, I've done a variety of things even back. I didn't even bring it to you guys too. I was a door-to-door salesman for a couple of years, managed and led a team as a door-to-door salesman. Why explains it go right there and explains it. <laughs> That's why five years is amazing because I'm just jumping all over the place in my career. But, you know, uh, started and, and, and ran some small businesses as well too. And, you know, regardless if you're in a Fortune 100 large organization, running a small sales team of door-to-door knockers, or, you know, a, a small business with just a couple friends and, and, and your brother. The reality is, too, is the cohesiveness of the people that you're working with in, in one common goal and how you're working and operating together. It, it's kind of like the, I don't know, the special sauce of how well things are going to go. So, yeah, I, I've just, I, I, I've seen it in, in a variety of different capacities. And I think it's kind of led me to where I am, too, or this is, this is what I like to do day to day if I can. For sure. Those examples are key. So, very, very qualified to be on the show providing insights and then we have um, another very qualified guest we're very uh, very pleased to have uh, Mr. Cody Franklin Cody welcome to the show thank you for having me uh, I'd say long time listener first time participant I'm um, <laughs> excited to join the show awesome yeah, that's great right? that's we got great. one we got one Joe we are, this is awesome <laughs> so uh, Cody has over 20 years of HR experience uh, through multiple different industries even even has global perspective um, and, you know, we could go on and on about the experience that he has in HR, which is going to provide a lot of insight for us today. But perhaps maybe one of the best is, uh, Cody, how many times have you, how many different homes have you owned, you said? This is my sixth home. Uh, and so, believe it or not, I have purchased HVAC equipment and invited contractors into my home on multiple occasions in different states across the country. And so, uh, when I looked at this industry and looked at the rich tradition that Linux brings to the table, um, I was really excited to add to that legacy and that tradition. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you and we're glad to have your perspective. And I agree, um, being a consumer, having purchased HVAC that many times you're, and combined with your HR experience, I think you bring a lot of great insight to the conversation today. All right. So Dave, this is such a big topic. When you yeah, think we about- can, We can go all over the place. You think about human resource. I mean, the reality is the average Linux dealer, I don't believe they, they don't have a person dedicated to HR. Well, it's, you know, I hate this, I hate to say this, but this kind of experience is not cheap, right? So, and you got to make sure you get qualified people with, with cost money for those small businesses out there. So hopefully some of the data we can share in this episode and what we did with Baxter earlier will help our dealers kind of orchestrate a better path for their team. Because we've heard it already several times that your business is because of your team. Yeah. I'll bring your team. So maybe even before we get into, we have some specific questions. Some of these were submitted by Linux dealers. So for those listening, thank you for submitting the questions. Um, and if you have other questions you want to submit, we'll get them answered. Our email is onair at linux.com. I almost said Linux IND, <laughs> linux.com. Isn't that cool? Uh, so submit your questions. So maybe before we get into, uh, in, into the specific questions, which are going to bring a lot of value, uh, maybe we start with how would you describe human resources in your typical HVAC company? What what are some things that, that come to mind that an owner, operator, or a general manager should be thinking about? And maybe at what point, you know, do they assign roles to, to people that share hats? And, and at what stage do they say, we need a full-time HR personnel? I mean, I think at the end of the day, no matter what kind of organization you are, human resources is about aligning your people with the goals of the operation, right? That's that's the purpose, and that's what we we strive to do. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it, but as an operation continues to grow, it becomes more and more difficult for an owner of a company, or perhaps it's someone who does their their accounting to also do their human resources administration. I think as organizations scale, it becomes important to to think about is now the right time to add a human resource. Yeah, I, I agree with that because you, you look at one of the questions that were submitted a little bit further on, Barbara, is um, the, describing the differences between orientation and onboarding. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those finite things. And yeah. what, what's your example or definition of that? Yeah. So this is actually an area I'm really passionate about. 
So um, we we even talk about this in Linux, and you know we're a pretty big organization. But whenever you think about orientation versus onboarding, I like to frame orientation as this is bringing someone into the company and giving them just the very basics that they need to know about the organization, about how they get paid, about you know any benefits that might be available to them. Um, just really kind of that that day one, week one information that's critical for them to know. Onboarding is an ongoing experience. Um, and in fact, we've done a lot of work here as an organization and making sure that not only are we giving people that basic information day one, week one, but we are helping them to really find their place in the organization. I think when I think about onboarding, it's helping them understand how does what they do fit into the bigger piece of the pie, right? So it's setting them up with the right people. It's making sure that they have the who, what, where, when, and they know what they need to know in order to really be successful. Um, and I and I I always encourage managers to look at onboarding as maybe a, a 30, 60, 90 day approach, right? What are the things and where should this person be completely up to speed within 30 days? How do you get them there? 60 days, how do you get them there? 90 days, how do you get them there? And then really, we kind of call someone new for the first year that they work, right? So if we're still considering them new, we need to make sure we're continuing to set them up with those right resources. So what I'm hearing is what I thought was a checkbox. Like we just checked the box. Boop. We did onboarding. Absolutely. We're saying this being like infinity. It's more yeah. consistent growth as person matures through the business. Yep. You know, I, I have a lot of, we'll have a lot of people, we'll have people call and say, hey, when, when should I look for my next role? Yeah. I've always, to me, it's always like, hey, be the very best where you're at and you'll have lots of opportunity. Yeah. And that journey is the is the fun part of it. And a lot of times people are like, well, I've been in this role for two years and I'm still in the same spot. I'm like, have you applied yourself with pressure for two years or are you just on the job? Yeah. And to me to me the 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 foundational thing of onboarding is consistently growing, consistently moving forward and and, and trying to figure out how you can not take yeah. from the company but give to the company and give oh, to the yeah. industry. It's a reciprocal relationship. Um, in, in everything we do, it's it's very much a reciprocal relationship. Um, you know, I think sometimes you might have a new person come in and expect to be, you know, handed everything in advance, which it's great when we can do that. But what we also want is to make sure that our employees know, um, you know, we we want what you can bring to the table too, right? Here's what we can give you. What can you bring to us? And let's work together through this. Yeah. So, I mean, building on to what Barbara's saying, because I like how she explained it's kind of an ongoing, continuous process when you think about onboarding. Because if you think about human resources and your people as an asset of your organization to make you more successful, more profitable and continue to grow your business, right? I like to think of it in the form of like how quick, like the onboarding and, uh, and uptick pieces, like mm-hmm. the speed to proficiency, right? Yeah. As quickly as you can get a new employee up to speed to operating how you need them to based on that role and the role that it plays in the business is how, how, how effective and how valuable that is going to be. I think we've all probably heard, maybe read in books, right? How many hours it takes to become an expert in something? Yeah. You know, 10,000 hours, right? Yeah. 10,000 hours, that's much longer than 30 days, than five years <laughs> and 90 days. And that's in a very specific skill in and of itself. So that's why I think kind of going to what you were saying, Dave, of like, when do I need, when do I need my new role? You've got a lot of time to continue to yeah. grow, progress, and stretch yeah. in any given role that you're in. And every day that you're getting a little bit better, you're, further preparing yourself potentially for a different role or to become a more more effective, more valuable and and more proficient in the role you are right now. So I like to not think of it as bookends necessarily. There's the critical piece, which is the speed to minimum proficiency that you need them to do in that job. And then the continuous growth and development to become more effective in the job continuously day by day for however long they're going to be. There. I had a mentor um, Baxter, uh, Larry Trimbach from QJ Supply Distributor out there and a great friend of mine, great mentor. And he, he's like, Dave, think about, think about your new role. He's going to actually coach me in the coming to Linux from a distributor and said, you got to go there. It's a great company and they don't sell Linux, right? But he knows it's a great company. And he's like, you're going to go into this new room and you're going to look around and it's going to be like white wall. Yeah. And this room is huge and you're going to have to be absorbing all this stuff and under massive pressure. Then the room will start to close down and start to have that room under control. But then a door, you'll see a door and you walk to the door, it's a brand new experience and you're in the same role, but just growing through that process. Yes. And I'll never forget that. He's, it was a great goal. Yeah. And I would just add, you know, I think as a, as a business owner, 
um, the investment that the onboarding process mm-hmm. means to you. You know, how many industries or companies can you say that my employees literally wear my name on their shirt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When they stop to get coffee in the morning, when they're driving the truck or the van, when they knock on the door, they're literally wearing my name and they're a representation of me, my family, my tradition, my legacy, and my profitability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would argue that, you know, it's it's probably, you know, more than working capital, more than advertising, uh, more than uh, warehouse space. It's the biggest thing that you should be focused on as an investment of your time and your energy and your resources is in your people. And that onboarding process, you know, it starts even before the person accepts. When you post a job and you have 20 people that apply, you may only select one or two, but those 18 other people live in your community. They're advocates. They have friends. They have family. They talk about their experiences. And so whenever you're engaging with future, current, or even past employees, it's an investment of your time and resources that they're advocates of you um, and they're advertising your brand in the right way. Absolutely. What would be your advice to someone who's, who's listening and saying, wow, I need to get this process down? Yeah. Where, where do they start? What, re- what resources can they find and how do they begin building this process? Out? You know, one of the, the key components of onboarding is who you partner your new hire with. Um, so what what we'll call it here is we'll call it an onboarding partner or we'll call it an onboarding buddy. And even if, you know, you're you're a small HVAC dealer, you don't have a lot of resources to, to really build out an onboarding plan, making sure that you have the right onboarding mentor, onboarding buddy for your new hires will do more for you than, you know, putting a lot of things on paper. Because at the end of the day, relationships mean so much to people. So making sure that they have someone that they're able to build that strong relationship with and learn from and go to with questions and they feel safe, that's really critical for new hires. And and I think that that ties in well with ongoing training, right? Mm-hmm. That was going to be my next question because what I'm hearing from you is the importance in onboarding is taking a new employee and putting them with an existing employee. But if that existing employee isn't uh, fully embodying your values and your company's values now you're you're creating a clone of a less than ideal uh employee and now you got two less than ideal employees so uh i guess for my next question is uh kind of a two-parter if if onboarding is is is, last much longer than i originally thought uh before this conversation how do you know you've got the employee on board when are when are are employees ever on board or are you always trying to get them on board um and and when do you trans when do you transition from onboarding to ongoing training yeah and, and i don't i don't think it's a, a black and white line right. that they that they cross over right because i think as well they can be on board and they're good and if you stop paying attention or stop you know the proverbial caring about it or thinking about it they could fall below and all of a sudden they're not engaged they're not excited they're not continuing to feel that growth and support from the organization and then they start looking somewhere else. So I think it's something that you need to continuously be gauging as the leader of the business continuously um, by just having a good gauge on the culture of your team on how they're connecting and working together as they move forward. But to answer your question specifically on what can you and how you should be thinking about kind of the training and development piece of it, I think there are those core skills that are needed in order to do the mechanics of the job, right? And you can write those down on paper And you can lay those out and those have to be for everybody. So I'd say the first recommendation that I have sometimes too is like when it's in your mind, it's hard to put a structure around it. First thing maybe that you should do is put it down on paper, like critical need to know skills. Because then as soon as you have those written down, you can then say, okay, and what's the strategy in order to get them? Is there a technical certification required? Is there a class or a course? Or are there other folks within the business who know this, who can be the teachers of this? And you can't be an expert on everything. There's nobody. So uh, us three here, we've all got a lot of experience in human resources. There are things that I know Cody is significantly better than me at that I'll go to him and I'll go to him and he'll help coach guide me on that. There are things Barbara has, does and experience the way her mind works that are just different than mine. And I need to lean on her for that. So one strategy I think you can take, and we take it, and I've seen it be very successful as well, is who are the the key go-to people for those specific skills or experiences on your team that are the subject matter expert, right? So real example with my team right now. So we we support uh, employees in mostly in the U.S. and Canada, 
right? For, for our business. And HR in Canada versus the U.S. is quite different from a kind of regulatory, legal perspective, just policies and procedures. And so we have a great HR manager, Martha Armstrong, who supports all of our Canadian employees. But there's a crossover with some of our responsibilities for those supporting the U.S. employees. But she's the expert. And so anything and everything that I need, if it has anything Canada related to my team knows, I say, make sure we talk to Martha. She knows that we don't all need to know everything about how to do it in Canada. So this next month as well, she's going to be down here and she's going to be doing HR for HR Canadian, right? What do we need to know? Kind of that baseline to help upskill us so we have a greater general knowledge about it, but we're still not the experts. We'll still go to her, but we're leveraging her expertise to develop the rest of them. So look at the, the folks on your team too. What are the things that they can, can you divvy out and, and, and say, you know, this technician here and, and another employee here too, like they're going to be our ghost who's there and they're going to help, you know, spread that knowledge and that, uh, across the rest of the organization in, in, in different ways. So I really appreciate what you're saying in that whole discussion there is what I feel a lot of times inadequate with knowing the right decision to me. And I'll call up like Laura Adney and say, Hey, can you coach me on this? What do you think here? And you know, we'll do some role playing and stuff like that. But when you think about our, our, our partners in the field, uh, they're dealing with things with homeowners and all kinds of stuff going on. To me, what I just heard you say is it's okay not to know what to do and in to in search for great guidance on what they're doing for making decisions and helping your team. I love what you said, because what's the most valuable is knowing the person you can call yeah. that can help you with that. Cause you just said, if I'm a new technician in the field and I'm at a homeowner's house and I have a question and if I think the only way that I'm going to be able to do is I've got to know everything, man, there's going to be points of failure. You're just not going to do it. But you know what? If I know, Hey, I know Dave's got it. I know Dave's been doing this for a long time. He's got a lot of experience. We talked about this two weeks ago. If I can pick up the phone and call Dave immediately right there. I've got that. I've got that capacity or that skill or that knowledge at my fingertips without me having to know it all. I think, and I think that's where our, our partners in the field have to make sure they create that culture within their organization that lets people ask questions and not feel bad about that. And I, I think, you know, every employee and even us as, as business owners, professionals, we, we learn and we grow and we adjust in our careers. And so I like to use the term re-recruiting or re-onboarding. I love that. You know, Baxter's been here for five years, but I'm constantly re-recruiting him to the organization yeah. uh, and re-engaging him in the work that he does. Um, and you have to, you know, refine your training needs to to meet the needs of the person. You, when you get beyond the core competencies and the core behaviors that you want to articulate in your business, meet that individual at their point of need. Is their desire to own their own dealership one day? Uh, to be in the succession plan for your for your dealer? Is there a desire to add innovation and technology to your business? Is there a desire to, um, to be the lean expert for your business? Each training plan is going to be unique to that individual. And if you can focus at the individual level, you'll have a more engaged employee. And a more engaged employee is a safer employee and a more productive employee. Yeah. It's like finding what motivates each individual person. So, so something thinking about there is something we, we hear in the field quite a bit. And that is, I'll have an owner say to, say to me like, um, you know, um, so-and-so, I really need to work, talk with them about what they're doing. Uh, geez, if I do that, I think they're just going to leave. And doesn't it make more sense if you're dealing with things as they pop up instead of letting them build up so that they can course correct or decide? I mean, this is America. You can decide if you want to work somewhere or not. You don't have to be here. But why should everybody feel this conflict? Because everybody feels it. They feel the conflict when it's not being noticed or discussed. It, it just builds, right? Yeah, but as a business owner, I'd rather be proactive and and address that conversation, lean into it, I would say, um, because you want to help influence and shape their behaviors and again, their engagement with my company. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we wait to address these things or if we just say, oh, well, I'll fix it. It's faster if I do it anyway. I won't bother review, them. Review time. I'll do it at review time. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So it should never be a surprise, right? We should never go months without telling someone what's going well and what's not going well. Um, reviews should never be a surprise. Deficiencies in performance really shouldn't be a surprise. And if we're having these conversations along the way, then it's much easier to get someone to where we want them to be instead of, you know, this employee thinking, I'm doing a great job. You know, I've, I've been doing this role for six months. I feel really good about it. 
only to one day get called into an office and be told, well, actually, you know, you're not meeting our expectations. Yeah. I have found it really interesting whenever you have a situation too, and somebody comes to me too, and and the answer is there needs to be a conversation about this too. This disconnect is happening because there's not effective communication happening. Um, that if there's, if, if there's a conversation that should be had and it's not, the conversation is happening in people's minds, right? And the way human minds work, if there's a gap of knowledge and understanding there, the worst possible solution or scenario is what is filling that, right? That's what, that's, what's filling that too. And you start building up that story. I don't know if you guys have done it, but it's happened to me quite a bit. I can remember an experience too, where there was a, you know, within two departments within our business, there was a disconnect um, because it always felt like we would come in and we would have an idea or want to pitch something to, and there was this one group and they were the biggest group in the organization too. So they had the most political weight and it was like, they were always coming in and then they would not get on board or they would come behind the scenes at the last minute and it would take down the project or whatnot too. And so there was this culture of like malicious intent going into it. Right. Mm-hmm. So we presented a project to them, to the group we needed buy-in from all four groups. This was four different regions at a different company I worked, uh, I worked with and, you know, we needed a thumbs up from everybody to move forward with this big initiative. Right. So we did all the prep work behind the scenes. You know, what do we think their pushback is going to be? How can we proactively answer those questions ahead of time? We presented it and everybody said, yeah, we think we're good. You know, let's, let's move forward with it. When I got back to, you know, we were celebrating on the way back to the desk. So when I got back to my desk, I had a note from the leader of this group, right. That said, Hey, you know, can you give me a call? I got a second. I got a question about this. You can guess where my mind went. Oh my gosh. What are they going to do now? You know, they're going to submarine the project. I knew it. They were just playing nice in the meeting. And so we spent like two hours just like complaining and begrudging and trying to guess what it was and how do we be ready to push back or what not do went to his office two hours later and he said that was a really good idea i want to make sure i want to make i want to make sure that you tie in x y and z folks too because they're going to be critical for us to be successful with this thanks for the efforts and i wasted two hours of my brain power too because of this conversation (laughs) because then i filled it with the worst possible scenario Um, because of that too. So when people come to me and there's a disconnect, I see it in my own, I've got to coach myself about this most of the time too, is like, okay, let's, let's think about the conversation that has to happen and let's talk about how we're going to most effectively handle that conversation. Cause that's where you're going to be able to move forward uh, well, when you run into those situations. Actually, I guess in the clear communication, right. And what is that really, what is that? Cause everybody learns differently from the ear. Some see, some have to write, some have to read, married 40 years and a couple in another month. Um, I'm obviously a bad communicator. Seriously. We're still together. Thank goodness. I love my <laughs> wife dearly. But I hear, I learned through her and my daughters that I don't communicate the best. I think I said something or I think it was clear. And here's my example for what we do. I remember um, specifically somebody I really cared about. I thought I was very clear about their not doing their job very well. And so when they came into office that day to give them their paperwork, their final check and let, let go of them, and they broke down crying going, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. And I felt I spent six months yeah over a year trying to get them through these hurdles to become the star employee that we thought they could be. Yeah. And then when they walked out, I, they walked out upset and moved on to the next job. I spent the next year um, thinking through what did I do wrong and yeah. living with that. Yeah. I like what Barbara said too. It shouldn't be, you know, if, if it's a surprise to somebody when they're receiving that type of feedback, because um, it's been going on for a while, you probably haven't been doing what you should have been doing from a communication and a realignment perspective for the for the last six months. So that's kind of almost an internal gauge for yourself right. if it comes across as a surprise. Obviously, it's upon the other side to listen as right. well and take it in. Um, so there's two parties of it too, but I take a look at what can I own. And the part that I can own is, am I effectively communicating when I need to in the way that it's going to be understood so, about what my expectations so are? three of you um, all feel that when you're starting to, maybe the first one's a discussion, but maybe as you move on, it's more of a discussion, more of a written, more of a, I, I, sometimes you worry about writing things because it could be perceived wrong, yeah. but you also worry about, hey, I've just been written up. But again, my understanding is people learn from different directions of information coming toward them. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially whenever it comes to writing things down, facts, right? Stick with facts. And whenever we're talking to someone about their performance, it's, Here's what I observe. Here's what the expectation is. Here's what I need to see from you to get there. And if you keep it clear and concise, 
And, you know, I, I know we don't want to hurt people's feelings, right? Because feelings come into play whether we like yes, it or not, sure. right? But again, if we're not clear with them up front, it does them more harm than good. They cannot make proper adjustments. Correct. Or choose to make those adjustments, right? Yeah, correct. And uh, I think if you don't want to go to the the formal kind of, I wrote someone up, uh, there, there's, there's other creative ways to kind of document that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, after you give someone the, their well-deserved feedback, you know, you can close out with things like, this is my commitment to help you be successful. What are you going to commit to do? What? I like that, Joe. That's good. What's our shared commitment to make improvements in areas one, two, and three? Mm-hmm. And when you engage them in that constructive two-way dialogue, then you can document the commitments. Mm-hmm. We talked about this. Yep. We shared the concerns. I'm going to do this to help you. You're going to own this. Mm-hmm. And then there's a platform for growth yeah. that you can move forward with. I like that. Are you a top selling comfort advisor? Are you enrolled in the Lennox SPIF program? The top selling comfort advisors make an average of $30,000 per year in SPIFs in addition to their salary. The Lennox SPIF program is exclusive to those enrolled in the consumer and advertising program and is 100% funded by Lennox. If you are not enrolled in the Lennox SPIF program, contact your territory manager for more information. You know, uh, study after study on small businesses, when they identify the biggest needs and concerns of a small business, what continuously comes to the top is one of being owner dependent. And kind of the other aspect that I'm hearing is the importance of bringing diversity into your business. And perhaps one of the reasons why companies, small businesses are so owner dependent is because this HR aspect is difficult. It requires a lot of work and intentionality. And if, you know, an individual started their business and this was kind of their creation and they worked so hard on it as they grow and they need other people to, to come in for that growth, um, they're going to need different, um, different diversity of thought and opinions and ways of looking at things. So could we shift gears a little bit and talk about how do you, how do we attract people? Can we talk a little bit about how do we bring in uh, diversity into our workplace? How do you foster that workplace of diversity and inclusion and, and bringing people in that can help us with all the different things that we're talking about? Yeah, so I go back to a comment that was made in our discussion earlier talking about how, you know, your employees, they walk into a gas station or wherever it may be and they're wearing that brand on their shirt. Your employees, first and foremost, are going to be your biggest advocates or your biggest detractors. So whenever we talk about recruiting and making it a place that people want to join, we also have to make sure that our teams that we have in place encourage and embrace that with open arms, right? So it's it's a commitment from the top to bring everyone along on this journey. But then I think even beyond that, um, you know, diversity of thoughts critical uh, to what Baxter was saying earlier, whenever he has a question and he says, you know, maybe this isn't the way I would think about it. Let me call in another person from my team. And you get those different perspectives. That's where growth and ingenuity and creativity kind of foster, right? Whenever you get different perspectives on things. And so um, I would encourage business owners to try to get creative in how they advertise their open positions where they advertise their open positions and really, you know, to, to jump out of the box of, I only want someone with one, two, three, X, Y, Z, right? Be a little bit more open to what are some transferable skills? What are we able to teach versus expecting someone to come in the door with? And then again, making that commitment to help them be successful. Uh, but you, so it sounds like you have to be very intentional to say, okay. if I want diversity, I'm going to have to not think about you know, where would I find a help wanted ad? Right. Where would the person I'm looking for be? Absolutely. And I think because it was a small point that Barbara made, but I think is the most critical sometimes when we're thinking about broadening our kind of our, our thought around what's what we need for a job. Um, what can I teach people to do versus what are those inerrant attributes that are most critical to operate and be successful within my company? Right. Mm-hmm. And if well, let's just talk you know, HVAC skills, you know, specifically, right? If you're looking and they need 10 years of, you know, HVAC installation experience or service experience, you're probably going to narrow it down pretty significantly. Yeah. But guess what? 
everybody who has 10 years of experience learned that and gained that at some point in time when they had none. Everybody had no experience at one point in time, right? So let's think about how can we build a technical skill and equip somebody to learn that. And now you can really broaden broaden the scope and, and, and the talent pool potentially of people to bring in. Of, do I need people who are creative thinkers? Do I need people who have worked in these in, or, or ran a business of this size and scope so they understand how it works and operates? Customer service, high level of customer service and support. Like those skills sometimes are more difficult and that experience can be even more critical because guess what? You've probably got the technical experts that know how to do the X, Y, and Z and you can train people to do that. So I think if you just change and, and take a little bit of a focus, even just do a quick inventory of what are the critical competencies, capabilities, you know, cultural attributes that are really critical and important. And then what are the technical expertise too that I believe I can train and develop and get somebody upskilled very quickly. It might change your view on what you actually need when you go out and start recruiting and interviewing new potential employees. Yeah, and I, I think about innate qualities that a person might have as well. For example, you can't teach someone to be curious, but if you bring someone in who is curious and likes to learn how to do new things, you may find that it's really easy to train and get them up to speed really quickly. So to also consider those innate qualities whenever looking for new talent. I couldn't help but think, Dave, of Rachel and Eeyore Martins, who we interviewed. So Rachel uh, and Eeyore are husband and wife. Eeyore is an installer. Um, individually, they're both very competent and capable, but together they are an unbelievable duo. Unbe they complement each other so well. But Rachel comes from the healthcare industry and she has this very compassionate, caring tone. She really focuses on the customer, the customer experience. She's well-spoken. Um, and Eeyore is very uh, proficient. He, he is very good uh, technically and skills-wise, and he knows how to uh, operationally change out a system very quickly. But when Rachel came on board, she did not have experience in the skill side. Of it. But after that, you know, and today she's a very, very talented install. And together, I mean, they get five-star reviews. Customers ask for her. They refer because that that duo is fantastic. And she, the level of of care that that they give to their customers, the homeowners feel like they're getting a great value. And after that episode launched, we had more than one contractor reach out. And Dave, I know you did as well. Say, I want to hire someone like that. Where do I go to find uh, my Rachel? Uh, and how can I, you know, I want to go to the healthcare industry and recruit. Yeah. But it takes what you're talking about. You can't say 10 years of HVAC experience and expect to get that. But she also talked about how during the day, he is the, he is the leader. Whatever he says, go. But when they get back in the car, that may revert a little bit, may change a little bit. <laughs> go, oh. I think that was more of the dynamic of the them being husband and wife. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that that's a cool story in of itself. But it, it, it really, you know, kudos to to Harry, the the yeah. owner and operator of Air Experts, who who saw the potential and was willing to take the risk to say, I'll, I'll train this person. So that probably gets to another topic here of compensation. Um, you know, with packages, benefits, how, how does it, how does a small business start to put a plan together? Yeah, I would throw in like healthcare too. I mean, I talked to a lot of HVAC business owners and they're like, I want to, uh, you know, I'm a small business. I want to grow. Uh, it's hard for me to bring people in if there's bigger players I compete with that are offering these great compensation packages. Do you have any advice for a small business owner to say, how, how can you attract somebody if your packages can't be as great as the big big guy you know that's that's a that's a great question um and you know before you get into the compensation the benefit structure i i would start with what is my employee value proposition what makes me unique in my community what differentiates me from another dealer or from another industry and why do people come and they stay in my business spend some time identifying that writing it down and being intentional about it what it means to wear your your name on, on their shirt. And and then you can construct benefit offerings to go along with that. You know, I, I had a unique opportunity where uh, I met one of our, our brand new Linux Linux dealers uh, from the Midwest. Uh, I had lunch with, with him and his wife actually. And they have an awesome tradition. You know, their employee value proposition is to feel like they're part of the family and they're transparent and everybody's voice matters. And so each month he hosts a free breakfast 
at a local restaurant. I think it may have been a Denny's. Yeah. Um, and so some months he may get 15 people, some months he may get 45. Um, but it's an opportunity for him to connect face to face, to share tradition, to listen and get feedback from his employees and to engage. And so it costs him a few hundred bucks every month. Um, but that's an investment he's willing to make and it's a value proposition that he offers. And also he gets something out of it. So, uh, he gets engagement, he gets feedback. And if someone misses, that's a regular it's a clue for him to check in. Is wow. something going on at that's, home? That's is something different? different? Is this person disengaged? Are they upset with some decisions? I need to follow up with this person who's normally here for my free breakfast and I isn't here here this time. That's really one cool example. And then when you think about you know defining your incentive plans or your compensation structures, uh, I think each dealer, each region, each industry is going to be a little bit different. But I, I'll tell you my simple rules of constructing a compensation philosophy. Um, first and foremost, it's got to be simple. You know, it's easily explainable to anybody that's participating. Um, the second thing is, I'd say, a clear line of sight. Mm-hmm. I can track my contributions to my earnings. And when I do more of X, I get more of Y mm-hmm. in the in the terms of compensation or benefits or other things. I'd say three is pay for performance. You know, how can you objectively um, differentiate pay and compensation for your best performers versus your average performers? You know, everyone knows that everyone knows the person that's getting it done for them. Yeah. Um, and how can you differentiate in an objective manner so they get rewarded? for their extraordinary results and effort they bring to your business. Um, tying it back to your EVP, you know, what's important to you? And, and that may vary year over year, but it comes with good communication and transparency. And then my fifth rule is make it simple, make it simple, make it simple. <laughs> Five, six, and seven. Exactly. <laughs> Look, we're going back to your first example, the story of the, the, the new dealer, the joint Lennox, the, the Lennox dealer, the dealer for a while, obviously. Um, I think one of the things is 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 you, is you move up the the ladder, let's call it, and 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 any business. It, I know I'll go back to myself. When I was a service tech, I thought, man, the owners of this place they got it made. They just sit in their offices all day, and we're out in the field doing all the work. And yeah. yeah, I'm I'm getting muscle because I'm stressing out, carrying pressures around. <laughs> and but then you find out as you start to move through that process that if you're going to be a good leader, a strong leader, that people will stay with you and, and come to you because you do attract people based on your skills. Um, it is a much broader thing to identify what's going on. You have to not only do your job, probably when nobody's looking, but you have to be looking when nobody's looking. Which meaning, like you just said, this just somebody doesn't show up for the breakfast. Is there a problem? Mm-hmm. What a great way to identify that. And I think about that all the time. Is the bigger our teams get, the more things we just can't see. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, people on the team will bring things up, like, "Hey, I'm just not sure if you know Bob's happier anymore. Well, what do you what do you see?" And having an open culture. You guys have talked about transparency and openness. It's critical. So, Dave, one other thing I wanted to bring up in your original question and Joe was around the kind of the compensation and the benefits and all of that too. And, you know, I totally understand the difference from a, a, a small, you know, family owned business versus a Lennox International. You know, you get big organizations and we go through the rigor and the process of, you know, purchasing salary data to compare against the industry and where do we need to be, right? You know, every company can't and it doesn't make sense for them to go through that level of rigor, or that level of investment to get what they need. You know, sometimes the best way you can find out is, you know, what are the local competitors? What are the people who you are, you know, recruiting from and where the other techs are coming from or other future employees? What is the most valuable to them? And then engage where you want to play, what you need to do to have the baseline to attract people. Because what I say, re- people think and people really, really focus on that compensation piece as like the most critical and most important thing. If you look at, I think it's called the Herzberg two-factor theory too, it talks about motivators and demotivators, is that compensation is not super high on the actual motivator piece. It's critical and very important on the demotivator piece, meaning that you've got to pay people at least what they feel is fair and equitable for the job. And as long as you're doing that, giving them significantly more isn't going to increase their engagement, connection, retention rate, uh, and tie to the company necessarily. But if you're much less than that, it becomes the most important, most critical thing to them because they've got to take care of their family. It's a piece or portion of it too. So trying to gauge and find what that sweet spot is too, 
And as long as you're within that gauge or within that area of what's fair, what's competitive in the market, then you focus on all the rest of the stuff too, because that's what's really going to, what's really going to elevate you. And you can just, I mean, you can gather like just the very, you know, primary way of finding this, look at other job boards, ask your employees, see what other folks who you're attracting or recruiting are making to, and make sure that you're, you're meeting that baseline mark. And then as well, I do, I do recommend to find the one thing that's the sweet spot that kind of like separates you. You can't be the highest in everything too. If there's a certain benefit to that separates you from competitors, it is good to, to find something that's going to, going to stand out and separate and differentiate you. Discussion I had recently with a dealer was three, a three to four man shop, person shop. Um, and they were comparing the advertised price of the drive through at a McDonald's. Now, I'm not saying McDonald's is a good business, bad business. That's an amazing business for sure. And they're going there my whole life, right? And But their minimum, their starting was like $15 yeah. plus benefits. Yeah. And it's like, I can't even start a, a learning tech at that. I need to start them like around 10 or 11, see their value and grow them. I can only afford so much. So really change this person's comp plan where they had to really stretch more than they're financially could handle, mm-hmm. which put them in jeopardy, hired yeah. people. That puts them in jeopardy. And so, but, you know, I, I said, listen, have you been into McDonald's lately? Yes, they've increased their pay plan. Mm-hmm. But when you now go into McDonald's, you don't have customers there greeting you. You have a board that yeah. you push on a board. Yep. So they've had to eliminate positions to, to increase the rate of those that are left. Right. And I think people miss those pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, especially for the home services industry, what is one of the biggest things that we want to incentivize? a positive experience for the homeowner, right? Whenever we have our technicians or our comfort advisors going into someone's home, we want that homeowner to feel good about that experience. And so whenever we talk about compensation and we talk about rewards, I guess I would maybe call this rewards, how do we then incentivize our employees to provide that great experience whenever they go into that person's home? And so again, that might be an area where as business owners, we get a little creative and we say, you know, maybe we start looking at a net promoter score or homeowner feedback, and we include that whenever we consider our rewards and recognition program. This has been an incredible conversation. I think we could continue for for a while and, and continue to bring great value. But as we go to close, there is a topic I, I would really love for us to at least broach a little bit before we close, because I know it's something that HVAC contractors deal with on on the regular. And especially if we're going to be embracing this idea of bringing people different than us into the organization. Bringing people different than us brings a lot of value because we have differences of thought and we can work through different things. Um, But it also has the potential to bring heightened conflict. Mm -hmm. If everyone agrees with me, it's pretty harmonious, right? Um, If I have people that disagree with me, um, we're going to have to work through those things. So uh, could we broach the topic before we close here of handling conflict resolution and um, at what point, I know it seems like sometimes there's, you know, I have the privilege of sitting right next to an HR manager who is just fantastic. Bonnie, she, she does an incredible job. And, and there's, there's, I don't hear everything, but there's days I'm like, wow, I'm thankful I have the job I have because I know HR is a difficult job sometimes. Um, and there's times when HR and legal have to work together. So could you, as a panel, speak to conflict resolution and when, as a business owner or a manager, um, when is it appropriate for a small business to seek legal? Those are kind of two big, big questions. Well, so I want to start with the first one, too, about handling employee grievances and and conflict resolution. And I think it it goes back to what we talked about earlier, a little bit about the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. That handling it first starts with how do you have the appropriate conversation to address it to make sure that it is known by both parties so you can so you can move forward and there's two strategies that i like with that the first and foremost is if you ask yourself when you're thinking about the structure of this conversation what do i want to accomplish from this and if everything you say and how you script it out can be backed up to that you'll find that you'll say and you'll approach it and it'll be a really really good guidepost for you right so Example, I'll say for my um, the, my lovely wife, Erica, super talented, awesome lady. She was a surge tech by trade, really, really good at, at that too. And um, a, as I was moving around for my career, she'd get different jobs. And she started working in an oncology office uh, in the front office with, there was like four or five ladies who worked in the front, kind of the um, admin support office. She loved it there, got along with them all so well. We moved away um, and we're gone for a year and then we're moving back. 
And so she called up that old office manager and was like, Hey, I'm coming back. Do you have another spot? And she's, she said, Oh yeah, we would love to have you back. We actually have kind of the supervisor position open for that. And we think you would be great. And she told me about it. And I'm like, you're going to go be the supervisor now of the ladies <laughs> that you worked with before. And she's like, they were awesome. It won't be a big deal at all. What do you say? We all learned that. We all, we all, we all 20 years yeah. experience over here laughing. Yep. The most interesting dynamic with this group, because they sat in like this little pod where all four of their desks faced one another. So they were all looking at each other. Um, and they would email each other when they were literally sitting like four or five feet away from each other. Like the most passive aggressive emails that I've ever seen of, of working through things. And she'd come home at the end of the day and she'd be like all frustrated, you know, about man, this, this and that, you know, and, you know, make the comment if they would just do what they were supposed to do. And then I'd tell her, well, you wouldn't have a job if they would just always do like that. <laughs> so that's why you're there to help kind of do this too. And she would show me because this is how they did. She would, first of all, I'd be like, well, have you talked to them? She's like, no, they won't listen. I was like, okay. And she would, she would show me their email that they were all sending back and forth this chain. And then the email that she was going to respond to and get my feedback and input. So now I'm like balancing that. Like, am I playing the husband where the right answer, <laughs> where the right answer is like, you're totally right. Step They're away. Right. Step away. Is you know? my professional or, or, or personal or, guidance? Or am I playing the HR role too? And it changed frequently based on the situation. And I would go to that. I'm like, well, what do you want to get out of this? Well, I just want them to do their job. I'm like, well, if you just wanted them to do their job, would you say that? And would you say that? Because that's sometimes, you know, like we got that stuff that we just want to get off of our chest, right? And by asking ourselves that too, we pulled a lot of stuff out and then it became very directive on this is what I need. This is where the gaps are too. And you can do that in email. You can do, I, I prefer to do it verbally, but when you have that conflict stuff too, you know, human beings are a lot, you know, we're non-confrontational, you know. When, when, when we can, but sometimes when you need to step in too, we need to stop our minds from going to the, all of those side things that you want to say, like, oh, I wish I would have said this. Yeah. So this is what I want to say to, this is what I need to say to get the outcome that I want. And if, if you structure it and you think about it that way, you'll find that you'll put pretty good guardrails in place to have a really productive and effective co um, conversation that will address the, the situation. It seems like maybe less is more too. Yes. Yeah. Stick to, I mean, Barbara said it earlier. Stick to the facts. Yeah. Stick away from absolutes. We all know Dave, you know, spoke about his his conversations with his his wife and how well of a communicator he is. What I have found is that when, <laughs> what, what, whenever we whenever we go to absolutes, whenever we go to absolutes and we say you never or you always, yeah. yeah. Oh man. Well, Larry, Larry Drax, you've been talking to my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, Larry, you there's stuff in your head after the fact. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, you know, if you can stick to the facts that are undisputable, right. even though it's the hard truth to hear, you can actually move forward. Move move forward from that. So now, kind of a, a, you know, transitioning to the second part of it of when do you connect over and when is it appropriate to get legal counsel? This is one of those things that I think you know the the, the bridge between HR and legal you know happens quite frequently as well too because. As well, what I found is they, they have a viewpoint and a perspective. So think about kind of diversity of viewpoints too. Our internal legal counsel, she is very, very smart, very, very capable too. And she looks at it at a completely different okay. viewpoint than I would. That is really, really helpful for me as I'm working and helping the business manage through what could be some potentially sensitive situations. There's lots of employment laws that exist out there too. So another thing, I, every, uh, you know, every small business can't have a, internal legal counsel right. hired. I promise we're, we're dealing with 12, 13, $14 an hour, you know, are we thinking about what it costs for ongoing legal counsel, but there's a lot of resources out there as well. And I think it's one of those things, how do you have that connection point when you're dealing with very sensitive stuff that's going to cross over into, you know, legal requirements, high level, if you're thinking about, you know, ADA, right. If, if you're thinking about, um, kind of potential retaliatory based on the actions that you're taking. If, if you're thinking about the reality of sometimes when you've got to terminate somebody's employment because they're not meeting expectations too, that always can cross the boundary into some potential legal implications. You can't be the experts on that. We're not the experts. We have a little bit more experience because we help facilitate those 
on a more frequent basis. But anytime that we're going to have that conversation, I bounce it off our internal legal counsel to just say, what are we not thinking about? What should we be taking in consideration for an additional viewpoint to make sure, ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to make sure we are making the best decision for the business, the fair and legal compliant decision for how we handle and manage that too. And that's where having an HR person who's going to have a certain you know, fundamental understanding of, of labor law, but then who's that external resource when it, it gets kind of some of those more sensitive situations that we can reach out to and get some further guidance. Yeah, you know, Baxter, I would actually take that question in a slightly different angle. I, I, I think, you know, Joe did a right, nice job of teeing up the question in terms of diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, backgrounds, and, and sometimes it may lead to risk or conflict. But I would argue that the value far exceeds the risk. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about yourself as a business owner and you have multiple goals, but two main, grow my top line, grow my bottom line. And, and you think about your customer charter and you think about the home formation in the United States, you're going to have to have a diverse organization to meet the needs of our changing environment. If you think about the number of homes with, with people of color um, that, that speak Spanish maybe as their, as their first language. Do you have an organization that can appropriately walk into that door and sell effectively? Um, do you have women um, in your organization? Are you providing unconscious bias training to people that can speak to um, women as as consumers and decision makers in the home? I, I'll share an example. I mentioned I moved a few times and uh, I was moving to Dallas for, for this great job here at, here at Lenox and we're moving from Ohio, uh, so we can have divided and conquered. Uh, I was on the the purchase side in Dallas, and my wife was on the sales side in, in Ohio. And she's interviewing realtors to determine who was going to list our house for us. And one realtor, a woman, said multiple times, "Wait to talk to your husband." And you you have no idea how that infuriated. Oh, it would trust me. My, my wife, <laughs> and she was automatically off the list. Yeah. Um, and so as, as you're preparing to sell into a, a household that, that more that is concerned about sustainability, energy uh, conservation, uh, maybe the, the wife is the, is, the, is the primary decision maker or maybe a single single um, uh, home, um, more diverse home, you have to have an organization that can meet the needs of a diversified consumer base. And you also be you'll have a richer, discussions and debates to make you more profitable and more efficient in how you run your operations back at the shop and back in the warehouse. So I'd argue that 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 that's a that's a value proposition that far outweighs the risk um, that that bringing diversity into your company may entail. And along with that, conflict doesn't have to be bad, right? To your point, Cody, debates, right? We all have different opinions, and especially whenever we do have more diversity of thought, you're going to have more of that, well, I think this is the better, or I would do this different. But there's a lot to be learned from those And so conflict can be very productive and really good for an organization if everyone approaches it from a place of... Like use the word opportunity, because conflict can really give you great opportunity. Well, with that, um, I think this was a very good discussion. Dave, we could... We could almost do a part two here. Joe, can we please do that? Um, I think it would be great. So for our panel, would you be open to uh, coming back, uh, especially if we get good response and if uh, yeah, customers we're, listening we're have comments. questions, we would come back for a part two? Yeah, comments from the field, specific questions. Absolutely. You know, we think about the HR department, you know, and our, our customer charter, our, our job is to help the organization serve you as the dealer. Um, and so if this this is of value to you and you'd like to hear more, uh, we'd love to engage and support you as you grow your business. Wonderful. Well, uh, I think we're at time, but I think this is incredible content. I want to thank each and every one of our guests here. Uh, Dave, this has been, I could not think of a better panel uh, to have this discussion than these three experienced, talented HR professionals. Absolutely. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for your time. I know it's going to pay help all of our dealers out there, employees, business owners, all of them do a better job moving forward. Thank you for the insight. On Air is hosted by Joe Jones and Dave Chapman. 
email your questions and comments for Joe and Dave to onair at lennox.com and check out our new bonus content. The On Air Podcast is a production of Lennox Learning Solutions. Recording, mixing, and editing by Garrett Hicks. Additional editing by Hunter Stein. Music by Chad Mathern. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Lennox International Incorporated or one of its affiliates, collectively Lennox, and are protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark laws. Except as otherwise provided herein, your use of this podcast and the information contained in the podcast are for personal or other educational purposes only. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written consent of Lennox. All information made available on this podcast is for general informational purposes only, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that Lennox makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Lennox employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Lennox. Lennox expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.